This is the Gritty Bird Waterfowl Podcast. What's going on, guys? This is Gritty Bird Waterfowlers, episode number 10 of the show, with your host, Chris Barbera, and second host, Brian! Today's going to be an episode about our last day of our um, waterfowl hunting season here in Colorado. It sucked. It wasn't too good, but... No, it sucked. It was all right. But um, we had a good time as far as just hanging out with each other, and, and there wasn't any birds, really, that were in shooting distance. We had a couple opportunities, but... Um, overall, we had just like a ton of high flyers that were buzzing past. Big flocks of ducks and geese, just, I don't know, they're probably at least 200 yards high. <laughs> yeah, they were flying the stratosphere of yeah. jetliners and everything else. So, um, In the last podcast, we talked about the river conditions and um, how it was pretty icy and it was tough to find a spot that was safe to get into especially with uh, the dog and obviously our safety as well. So we had to make do and you know, basically, when it's that type of conditions on the river, you really kind of have to just go where the river allows you to. Yeah, definitely. Which was pretty much nowhere. Which was, yeah, almost like non-existent as far as a spot. And so we talked a lot about Saturday. Uh, Sunday was our final day out there. And woke up. We actually woke up on time. We all set our alarm clocks so we wouldn't have a one person set in it and setting it for a weekday. <laughs> we got lost. Yeah, so uh, woke up, we had uh, a unit that we hadn't hunted before, but like in the previous podcast we're talking about, we had some intel on the unit we were about to get on, turned out. But it was wrong. That that uh, that information was completely wrong. Well, I mean, he was right in the sense that you had to go right. Right. But the thing is, is he's like, yeah, these guys set up next to me, like I've never had any, he was bitching about the other hunters. The thing is, is, is in this unit, you have to set up to the left. And he went right. right. Well, we thought like he went a little bit right. He went way right into the other unit. So yeah. I mean, pretty much essentially, like he was in the wrong unit. And he was. Well, what about how he was unit. complaining about it? And he was bitching about it. And yeah. he was a cool dude, but he was nice, like as far as like another hundred hundred to talk to. But I mean, he was making it sound like these guys were intruding on his unit. When and, really he did, he intruded on theirs. And I mean, I can't lie. Like when we first started hunting that unit, we were in the wrong too. Yeah, we've made that mistake. You know what? It is what it is, and we moved and and just realized like we got to do something a little bit different. And yeah, this guy, he was pretty hard headed about it. Yeah, and I don't think he knew that he was even on the other unit. So it's like, dude, everything to the left is yours. And if we would have saw him again, like probably would have just like let him know. Yeah, that he was definitely on. Because it is unit. confusing. It's it's easy to get mixed up. I mean, how this river unit works is where the parking lot is for your unit it's that to the left yeah so down to the left anywhere straight ahead of your parking lot to the left until you run into the the next unit up yeah so if we parked at 19 you'd have all the way from 19 to the left or basically westward towards the river until you ran into 20 yeah and he was way right almost like middle of 19 and yeah 18. he was definitely into the 18 unit for sure and like that's the thing that kind of sucks so when he told us about it he told he mentioned a slough which we were like all about because it's safer to get in there and we don't have to worry about slipping in the river so that was like our game plan going into sunday morning as we were gonna you know wake up on time get out there get into the slough but 
in the back of, I think, me and Brian's head, we both knew, like, it's not how it works. Like, we're probably going to have some side sidetrack that we're going to have to go on, some different journey to get to a spot. And that's definitely the case. So we walked out. We realized, like, after walking in the dark that we were lost for a second, Brian was completely turned around. Yeah, which is weird because usually <laughs> yeah. I'm actually really good about that. But I got way turned around. I don't know how I got so turned around, but it happens. Yeah, I mean, and it's when it's pitch black out there, and you're just walking through. That was some thick brush out there. Well, even in the daylight, I was yeah. still turned around. I had to have you walk me back. Yeah, because I got soaked. But yeah, I think that was messing with you a little bit. I mean, it was just one of those things where usually I'm pretty good about which direction we're in and everything, but got turned around, and <clears throat> I mean, not the end of the world. We've found our way back to the car, and we. Just decided, like, hey, we'll bust some ice and we'll see what happens. And we had a couple birds that wanted to look, mm-hmm. a couple geese, a couple geese, yeah. And so by the time we actually got our direction back and our sense of direction back, we we made it back. We walked actually all the way back to the forerunner, and uh, kind of rendezvoused, like, what are we doing? Like, what the hell? Where are we going? What are we gonna do? So, excuse us, our dog Remy's in the room with us. <laughs> Apparently, he's not too happy. Remy. more food. Rem. I swear, this dog is like the most vocal dog I've ever heard. So nasally. <laughs> you sound like Ram and Ramon. Alright, Ram. You done? <laughs> I don't think he's done yet. No, not at all. What, what is it going to take to make him happy? He wants more food. <laughs> of course he does. Well, I might have to take an intermission real quick and get Rem more food. <laughs> so, all right, so we're back. We just had to feed Rem a little bit here. Um, what were we saying? That we went back to the Forerunner, kind of got our bearings back, and decided that um, the best bet would just be to kind of stay within our unit. We hugged the 18 side a little bit because we had walked to a point on the river where we felt we could break it up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, that would be like a safe spot to kind of set up some decoys there. So <clears throat> we towed the sled and all our, our shit over, all our gear over to the, the river area that we thought we could get into. And uh, had a decent amount of cover. It, was, it wasn't it was that good, though. It was kind of exposed. It was decent, and I think some birds picked us off for sure. But we decided to move to another <clears throat> spot, which was definitely on 19, which was further up the river. Yeah. And... We started busting ice, busting ice, <clears throat> and we we're like, yeah, this is the spot. Well, Chris stepped in a hole, and this guy talked about stepping in a hole the day before because he hunted 19, yeah. and and so Chris stepped in this hole. Well, the concern was a bunch of mud came up, and we stuck a, a big-ass stick down there, and I mean, <laughs> it hugged underneath the ice. Yeah, that thing went at least waist almost nipple high yeah nipple high i mean (laughs) the thing is is there were holes throughout that and i told you that there were holes because i stepped in one not as bad Mm -hmm. because i kind of caught myself before but there were holes throughout it and we realized that we were basically on an ice shelf yeah that was like three feet deep so we were definitely working with pretty tough conditions on that area too although honestly for that area was probably like the best spot and then not too far, probably 100 yards to the east of us mm-hmm. on a point, um, there was another group of hunters that were set up actually in a pretty good spot. If the river would have been down, that would have been a perfect spot to get on that point right there. Yeah, definitely. 
And uh, so, you know, we actually had a good amount of birds, um, both ducks and geese that were kind of flying over. Could have had a couple shots at some of them, but they would have landed in the river. We wouldn't be able to get them anyways, and we weren't sending Rem out there. Anyway, Rem was back at the forerunner, right? Yeah, we didn't even take him Yeah, we, left, we actually left Remy, um, our lab, back at the truck just because there wasn't really any use for him out there on the river. And uh, so those birds that were flying, <clears throat> they were... You know in the middle of the river so if you would have shot at one there's just been no retrieving it so we just decided to let those ones go <clears throat> i forget did we have any like within shooting range or not really uh no nah, just a few i we mean worked that one bird that i had that a duck. goose i had a goose working mm. a couple geese working they wanted to come in come in passed on shots duck a couple ducks same thing and we passed on shots and then we ended up moving over to 18 after that and into that sloth yeah and they just they were flying nothing wanted to come in at all other than one bird that well i mean just didn't work out for us yeah definitely um as far as like well one thing we did is so we probably stayed at that the first part on the river we probably stayed there for about an hour maybe two probably about two two hours Ate some breakfast, kind of got warmed up. Brian had to go back and he walked back to the truck to change his shirt. He was his shirt got all wet from sledgehammering the the river ice up and got all wet. So he's getting some uh, hypothermia type symptoms. Yeah, and had to change out. And so we had to make a move. We decided, move. yeah, we made our move, and you have to do that sometimes. You know, as much as it sucks with especially waterfowl, we didn't have a huge spread out or anything, but just in you know, even if you're moving twelve or twenty decoys out, it's still like a pain in the ass to walk through there and drag everything to a new spot but we decided to do that um before we moved everything we actually walked west a little bit on the river and found a spot we thought was decent but i think brian mentioned like we stepped in and it wasn't too deep it was a little shallow but we and i don't know if anybody else that's 100 rivers on ice has experienced this but like we broke through one part of it and then you know like it felt fine for a while and then i stepped and there was like a pretty big hole underneath that first layer of ice i was like that's kind of weird and so we were, you know, being cautious about it. And I took a stick, kind of jabbed around a little bit. And, like, it was weird because it was, like, breaking a little bit down underneath there. Mm -hmm. And, like, I could stick the – I had, like, a four- or five-foot stick. I kind of shoved it down in parallel, and it, like, went underneath this. So I was like, that's weird. And Brian was like, is it an ice shelf? And I was like, I don't know. I've never really experienced, like, what an ice shelf underneath the top layer would be like. And we both kind of looked at each other like, I don't know. This doesn't seem right. And so we were definitely cautious about it. And uh, the more we kind of walked around, we decided just to back out of that idea. Yeah, probably for the best. Yeah, just not, it wasn't safe. Didn't feel confident at it. And so after that, that's when we decided to hit up that sloth Brian was mentioning. And um, we moved over a little bit onto the sloth. And it was a decent sloth. I mean, I thought there would have been some decent traction that was down there. I think it's just time of day. I mean, if I think if we were set up on that in the morning, we probably have nailed a few birds, but, um, I think it like, and I wouldn't hesitate to go hunt that again. Yeah. I mean, what would you do different? Like, okay. So like we had a, you know, not a huge spread by any means. It was composed of what? No, maybe, we, ran, we ran a pretty good solid spread out there with white right. rocks and we had, uh, sh shells and, <sighs> ducks probably close to five dozen decoys out there yeah but it was midday yeah you know it was in like we probably sat there 
We set up around what three? It was no, it was early. it was like one thirty probably. Probably about noon. Yeah, like one ish, maybe twelve thirty ish, I guess. And so we set up around there and had a, shooting time was up at like four thirty. So you know we had about three hours or so of shooting time. And the first hour and a half was pretty slow. We didn't see much activity, and then there's definitely a lot of birds moving high. Um, like we mentioned, like 100 yards or so, 150 yards high. And we just couldn't, there was no chance of bringing them in. I don't know, like, what you should do in those types of situations when the birds, there's a lot of flocks of them. I mean, we're talking big groups of birds, but they were just so high. I just don't know, like, our call, we were calling pretty loud and doing a lot of hail calls with the ducks. Just nothing, though. They just kept buzzing by. Yeah, nothing even looked at us. I don't really think there's much you can do in that situation. They wanted to be in the fields. That's what they were heading towards, and like you just, know, they have that mission, like that yeah. mission, like oh, they're, they're not stopping. I think a lot of these birds had been there for two, three weeks, and they yeah. knew where they wanted to be. So mm-hmm. that's just the way that it was, and we, it just didn't work out. Public land hunting's tough. It is, and especially that type of situation. We did have one opportunity on a duck. Just a random solo came down, and. Uh, we were excited, pulled the trigger maybe a little early, but definitely should have sh- yeah, taken it. Yeah, I didn't it. have a shell on my freaking... Yeah, Brian didn't have a shell on his gun. <laughs> so I was the only one that fired. I fired all three, and I didn't hit it, so that was my fault. But, but that's all good. I mean, shit like that happens. Yeah. So, I mean, that was pretty much our Tamarack, our last weekend of duck hunting here in Colorado. And unfortunately, we, you know, we got a big old goose egg for the weekend, but... Learned some more stuff. Definitely was frustrated afterwards, but it's not going to prevent us from getting back out there next year. We got a lot of hunting to look forward to. Brian also had a lot of luck with our other buddy Dominic in the field the last previous weekends and for geese. So I want to kind of let Brian talk about um, him and Dominic's kind of field excursions that they well, had. Well, the next day we went out, and uh, you were going to go out, and then decided not to and I was back and forth on if I even wanted to go out or not and I ended up going out Monday morning and we had birds coming in freaking all morning long the thing is is the way we set up on that field is we were sitting you know south of the wind and the wind was blown from north to south and so the birds were landing out of range they I mean we had probably six seven flocks cup up drop in and land (coughs) you know just out of gunning range and so i mean that kind of sucked we try to make some moves they were picking us off um low cut field which doesn't help but um we had a flock at like probably about 70 yards maybe 80 yards Mm -hmm. and they landed and me and don were just like well let's just shoot on them see what happens and i unloaded on them Dropped a bird at like 80 yards. That was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. You were all pumped about that. I was pretty pumped about that. That was a far-ass shot. What were you saying? You're you're shooting the new Browning rounds? Yeah, I was shooting the Browning. uh, BBs? Yeah, the BB rounds out of those. And hit that bird, dropped it, went out and got it. Um, We had another single come in, knocked it down. And that was really it. I mean, we should have limited out by like 10 o'clock that day. And it's just... Was it snowing or was it... it it was like a sleet. It was yeah. kind of weird, and they just wanted they wanted to land. And they were coming in the way that we wanted them to, which other than just landing outside of the decoys. So, so like I know, you know, you and Dominic kind of have different opinions about how to set up your field spreads, and I mean, you obviously agree on some stuff, but like as far as where to conceal the blinds and all that, 
what would you say would you would you say that like bringing the blinds a little bit closer in and surrounding yourself with decoys around the blinds yeah, think that's that what would... i wanted to do and he he just doesn't he's not about that <laughs> i mean he's all about setting up next to the ditch and putting the decoys out a little bit but they're just landing too far out and i mean i'm not an experienced field hunter by any means so i just from what i've seen and like researched it seems like most guys that are you know experienced which and, in the early season i mean it worked i mean right <clears throat> When the birds are not as weary, like we had, I mean, we limited or took what, I think 14 birds, mm-hmm. you know, in one day and every, they were landing in the decoys. In fact, we had one that landed in the decoys as we were packing up, right? slept in the decoys overnight. <laughs> I came back and I was like, if that freaking bastard's oh, yeah. still there, I'm going to walk out. I'm going to shoot his ass. And <laughs> It's hilarious. I got out of the truck that next morning, walked out towards it, tried to get it to get up, mm-hmm. wouldn't get up, wouldn't get up. Finally got out of the decoys, and I mean, I, popped, I was only at like five yards away from it. Yeah. But, I mean, they they weren't as weary then, and they're just different birds. That's such a good point, is like, an early season duck or goose is, you know, extremely different from a late season duck or goose, and... By by what we when we're saying like the difference of them is obviously in the beginning of the season they're they're not you know super experienced with like um, decoys moving mojo type decoys motion decoys calls so you're able to attract and decoy and call a little bit easier for those early season birds but later on in the season they get they definitely get wise and um, when that happens, you have to adapt and change to that experienced bird. And some of the tactics I think to implement would be your calling's got to dif- differentiate um, the spread that you're putting out there. Like I was reading up an article in the where did I read this? I was in the Water American Waterfowler magazine, I think it was, out of Barnes and Noble. I was kind of hanging out reading it, and they were talking about for ducks in particular, like during the late season, to not just use your normal combo of canada's and mallards spread but to implement more like a coot or you know like different types of variety of species of ducks that makes them you know they haven't seen those types of spreads for the most part overall during the season and that makes them a little bit more comfort you know that comforting and just knowing that hey you know these birds are here like we'll be a safe landing which we usually do though i mean we don't have any coots or any like put a lot of pintails out though pennies, yeah, I, mean, I, I run i think eight pintails and and uh, two or three, do- two or three dozen Dakota mallards, and then yeah. on top of that, you know, you got we always run three dozen Canada goose floaters and five or six dozen full bodies or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And I mean, we've all- we've never had issues drawing ducks in, so it's just kind of weird this last time. And we were using a lower lower quality decoy too this last time, which. Yeah. I don't know if that had an effect or not. I, I doubt it. Who I knows? think it's just I think it's just the bird. The bird and weather and all that. It just didn't work out for us, but as for the geese, I mean they they did what I wanted them to do a lot of the days out just Well, for the listeners that are maybe newer kind of haven't really gone on a lot of field hunts, what would you as far as like a spread what how do you position your full bodies to sleepers? Like what's your plan on that like i like all my sleepers to be in one spot for sure and uh <clears throat> we'll run uh if there's snow on the ground some floaters 
out in the field too and just have them looking like they just landed with their heads up and mm-hmm. and those worked really well i mean they they did they worked really well a couple times and we had the uh all the full bodies and we mixed ghgs and green head gears we got the green head gear lessers by tim newbold and those looked really good um big feet that's what we ran we left a big hole open and put out the goose flapper and we've had birds land like right on top of the goose flapper yeah you know and i'm not a big fan of the silhouettes um dominic and his dad are a little bit more but his silhouettes he loves those things i'm just not about those as much because they're kind of a pain in the ass more than anything but um greenhead gear makes some silhouettes that i'd like to buy (laughs) yeah for sure i mean they look so good definitely i think uh like greenhead gear has a lot of um options that you're digging right now yeah i'm all about the greenhead gear they have a lot of movement um their detail is awesome um it's an expensive decoy though for sure but i mean i'm about them and probably use a lot of greenhead gears in the future and a lot of big feet still but i don't know i just love decoys (laughs) yeah i feel you on that and you're definitely more of the decoy guy when it comes to waterfowl or just in general (laughs) um well i mean as far as so that's that's pretty much the gist of our 2016 season and i think for us now it's kind of well actually tomorrow we're getting ready for a pheasant hunt um and with that being said we've never really gone on a pheasant hunt before so i'm kind of curious about that you yeah it'll be interesting i mean completely different something new something that we've never done but i think it's going to be fun it's going to be a good time and and just something different change of pace no decoys involved which is kind of nice you don't have to set up we get out there at the field at nine o'clock um as opposed to being out there at five or six right which is nice but um i'm ready to do this pheasant hunt and i'll probably go on one more goose hunt this year and then after that, shut it down for a while and get out there, uh, get out after some turkeys and some spring gobblers, fish a little bit, and then elk season's right around the corner, and I'm ready for that. Oh, yeah, man. I can't wait for that. So we'll talk about that, I think, in the next episode. Yeah, definitely. We'll get into uh, some of our elk hunting and some of, we got a lot of stuff coming up as far as uh, big game this year, and we're really excited about it. And I know, you know, this is something I've been thinking about back and forth is like our title and our brand is Gritty Bird Waterfowlers, but we're so much more than that. Like, yes, that's kind of how we got started in hunting in Colorado is like, you know, waterfowl hunting. And that's where like, really where I kind of sparked a new passion for hunting is that. So that's where we kind of live, like our roots live in that. But we're way more than that. We know we'd love to go turkey hunting, um, small game hunting. Like, obviously, big game is like definitely a huge passion of ours. So. I think it's all right to keep the Gritty Bird name and just, like, have a variety of different types of hunting things that we do. Yeah, and I mean... And I'm sure that other viewers and listeners, you know, you guys aren't just waterfowl hunters, too, so I hope you guys do enjoy, like, when we talk about maybe some of the other stuff that we go on adventure-wise. Definitely, and I think on the next episode we'll be talking about the units and the draws that we're going to try to pick up for elk and deer and and that debate that we're going to have, which... Is a big debate because, I mean, you only get to go elk and deer hunting, you know, a couple times a year. And it's not like duck and goose where you have four or five months to pick what you want to do. It's 
you got to kind of make a decision and we have to make that decision within the next month or two. So I think that's what we'll probably talk about here in the next episode. Yep. So this has been episode number 10 of the show, guys, and we're going to conclude it on this note here. We're going to start another video shortly and go over some of, like we said, our big game ideas and tactics for this year. But as always, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Um, please leave us any feedback. You know, we love, we haven't really gotten much feedback on our email, but please, if you have any questions or suggestions on, you know, topics you'd like to hear or um, just in general, whatever you guys want to hear about on the Gritty Bird Waterfowlers, please let us know. Our email is grittybirdwaterfowlers at gmail.com. Um, that's grittybirdwaterfowlers at gmail.com. Always um, keep us in mind on your Instagram page. Uh, tag us. Um, we do need to get some reviews going and, I know we don't have a huge following yet, but we're definitely trying to get up there. So if you could, if you are a listener right now, feel free to leave us good or bad feedback. Doesn't matter. Anything will help us to you know improve and get our podcast going a little better. So um, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you soon.